Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello there, Dr. Ross Green here. As always, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. In the dead of winter, uh, I don't know why they call it that. Um, we've got a lot going on here at Lives in the Balance. I hope you've seen the new website. Um, kind of spiffy, kind of reorganized, kind of, um, well, kind of cool. And there's a lot more coming. We there's a lot of video and um, all kinds of stuff from the conference in November that should be up on the site very soon, maybe even by next week. That'll be cool. Um, lots of things will be updated that aren't quite updated yet, but I hope you're enjoying the new site. And, of course, the new site does have a new feature, the guided tours for parents and educators that guides you through each facet of the model and points you to the video and audio programming that um, is relevant to that particular facet of the model. Um, cool, eh? Now you don't have to bushwhack it down the mountain anymore. You can you can stay on the trail, as we might call it. Now, if you want to call in, today's a good day. We've got the parents panel next week with Anna and Susie coming back. Today you got me. Um, and today's a good day for uh, questions. Um, the call-in number is 347-994-2981. And if we do not get any callers, then I will spend most of the program, in fact, all of it, answering the questions that you all have submitted via email. And I think I shall start right now. Uh, here is a mom who's emailing in saying, and I know she's a mom because the first sentence says, Hi, I'm a mom with four children with various learning disabilities and behavior challenges. I'm also the co-volunteer parent leader for our district's special education parent advisory committee. Though I am still learning about this political process with our schools, I'm very passionate about the CPS model and feel our school could benefit from this model, not just from a special education point of view. What are the first steps I can take as a parent to encourage the school to look at this model and get excited about it? Do I print things and present it to the school board at a school board meeting? Do I send the book Lost at School to our superintendent? What and where do I start? How do I plant the seeds and then help it grow? Um, well, it ain't going to be easy, but I think you can do it. I don't know you, but I do thank you for writing in. You know, um, depends on how big you want to start. And I say this whenever um, I'm asked about how to get the ball rolling in a uh, school when it's a parent trying to do it. 
The answer, though, isn't, isn't all that different if somebody within the school system was trying to do it. My usual answer is start small. Now, that doesn't mean that you'd be you know, committing a terrible crime if you sent a copy of Lost at School to the superintendent or met with the superintendent. Um, but starting small would probably mean starting with one of the schools that your kids go to, um, talking to the principal about it, or asking somebody in the building who he or she thinks, somebody who's actually in the building, who he or she thinks would be a good point person to listen to this, hear about it, be receptive to it. There might actually be people in the school who may be already trying to do something like this. Um, And start talking about ideas for how to make it happen. In many schools, it happens with a book study, but book studies are often initiated by a principal, um, assistant principal or vice principal, school psychologist, guidance counselor. And, um, and schools do that routinely. So if you can get a book study on the model, that's great. But a lot of things end with the book study. Everybody thinks it's a great idea, but it doesn't go a whole lot further than that. So ultimately, in a building, you're going to need the school leader to buy in. Now, what are you going to bump up against here? The biggest thing you're going to bump up against is that schools have many, many new initiatives being thrown at them constantly. Stuff that's just coming down the pike at them. Some of it they have to do. Some of it they're mandated to do. Other, others of it is voluntarily, voluntary. Um, the stuff that's mandated... They do. Sometimes it's perfunctory, but they do. I've been in meetings where um, I've seen school administrators in response to an an initiative that was being imposed on them basically say out loud, how are we going to make what we're doing now look like it's in, um, in tandem with the initiative that is being imposed on us? So nothing changed. They just made it look like what they had been doing was what they were now being told to do in compliance with the directive. Um, The stuff that's voluntary, you need school leaders who are really energized, really keep everybody's eye on the ball. Um, See, you might think that there are things that are mandated, and it's those that are going to have the greatest impact But because of what I just described, I often find that the things that are mandated don't have a great deal of impact. Not on school practices. The academic stuff does tend to impact things because there's sort of a report card on schools that they've got to get over the bar and pass certain standards, and they are in trouble if they don't. Um, But that's mostly on academics. I'm looking forward to the day where um, schools get a report card on how they deal with their behaviorally challenging kids, too. 
maybe in my lifetime, maybe not in my lifetime. But I think things are heading in that direction. I'm trying to pull up an article here that I just read. It's going to be posted on the Lives in the Balance uh, website uh, today, I think, if we can fix a few things. We noticed that there were just a few more glitches on that website than we knew, uh, but those have been fixed, especially in the guided tours. Some of the links weren't working. Here's an interesting article. Um, the White House sent a message. This is from uh, the Chicago Bureau. It uh, says, Obama administration calls out school-to-prison pipeline. The White House sent a message to schools across the country Wednesday, and I believe this is uh, a few Wednesdays ago, to abandon severe discipline policies known to criminalize students for infringements that could be handled without law enforcement. A series of guidelines issued Wednesday on behalf of the Obama administration recognized a phenomenon advocates of school discipline refer to reform called the school-to-prison pipeline. The theory goes that when schools employ zero-tolerance policies on wide-ranging behavioral infractions, including truancy, drug use, fighting, and weapons possession, they may choose to suspend students or charge them with criminal offenses rather than mediate the problem in school. These strict sanctions interfere with students' potential to succeed academically and increase their chances of running afoul of the law. According to the Department of Education, the school-to-prison pipeline also disproportionately affects minority students, with black children more than three times more likely than their white counterparts to be expelled or suspended. Um, despite the fact, and I'm skipping a few things, that research has shown that minority students do not behave, misbehave more frequently than white students. A routine, this is quoting Attorney General Eric Holder of the United States, a routine disciplinary infraction should land a student in the principal's office, not in a police precinct. All right. That's progress, but it's not enough progress, Attorney General Holder, who will be getting a care package from Lives in the Balance by next week. That's progress, and I'm, you know what, incremental progress, I'm all for it, but um, not enough. I don't know if the kids should, I fully get it that we don't want to send kids to the police for disciplinary infractions at school, although there are some things that the police still will get involved in. We want um, disciplinary stuff handled by the adult in the building who the kid is having the difficulty with, and that might not be the principal. I'm looking forward to the day when we not only grade schools and help them out if they're having difficulty with academics, and that, of course, has been a mixed bag. I'm looking forward to the day when we prioritize behavior problems in the exact same way. All right. Now, did I, now I, got, I digressed, didn't I? So let me answer your question succinctly to our emailer. Um, let's have a, start a few discussions, put the energy in, see who's receptive, see who people say you need on board, make it happen. I'd start small. And I'd 
want to find out what the schools are currently doing and why they're currently doing it and whether they've given it any thought whatsoever. There you go. Let us know how it goes. Sounds like you've got the energy and enthusiasm. Don't lose it along the way. Very easy to lose the energy and enthusiasm along the way. That's how a lot of things get bogged down and don't happen. The more governmental meetings I sit in on, the more obvious it becomes to me why things get bogged down and don't go anywhere. Here's a nice one. This isn't a question. It's just a nice email, Dr. Green. I received uh, an article this morning from Attention Research Update. Um, I'm not sure which one that is. It completely captivated me. I'll have to look and see which article that is. I then clicked on the link to this website where I just spent some time watching your videos. All I can say is that after going around and around and around and around, yes, there are four arounds in this email, with the same inflexible behaviors that throw my 13-year-old daughter, who is diagnosed with ADHD, into absolute explosiveness. Your work is the brightest glimmer of hope I have received in a long time. I feel like breaking out in a hallelujah chorus. Feel free. Thank you for giving us a new way to see what may actually lead to the best possible chance for peace in our lives. I will be visiting your website often and sharing your work with my daughter's therapist. I can't say enough about how grateful I am for people like you who offer parents a way to help their children in the midst of a world who just labels them and us, their parents, as incompetent. May you be blessed for giving such a gift to others. Well, that's my pleasure. Um, That's what I do. Now, just one little thing. I don't know if you're going to have peace in your life. Um, I don't know if even once things are better, you'll be using the word peaceful to refer to your existence with your challenging daughter. But the word that I'm reasonably certain you'll be using is better. We'll take better. Let's see what one of our listeners is emailing in about here. Um, To the first email that I responded to, our um, emailer wants our first emailer to know, you may bump up against resistance because educators often believe there is no time to do one more thing. Remember, meltdowns take a lot longer than implementing Collaborative and Proactive Solutions, that's the new name of the model. CPS ends up saving time in the long run. Also, using the model for 15 minutes a day solves lots of problems over the school year. Thank you to our listener. Let's move on, since I can get it onto my screen here, to another email. Just a second. Dr. Green, I just recently purchased your book, The Explosive Child, because my three-year-old is just that, explosive. My husband and I are clueless as to the solution. I'm sure to the outside eye, it looks as though my husband and I are permissive. And we are certainly open to that conclusion if it would help. However, 
my child has a sibling that has the same parenting and is not explosive. My husband and I both grew up in an authoritarian household, and telling my son to stop screaming, then screaming back at him, simply does not work. The calmer we are, the calmer he is sometimes. So we've tried our best to deal with it, following tips and tricks from other people. My question is, what if this behavior is saved just for us? Can the book and the model still be useful to us? For example, he is not explosive with his daycare provider. Well, you've raised some very interesting questions there. Let's see what I can do here. Let's take them one at a time. First of all, you your email points out um, what is routinely and almost automatically said about um, behaviorally challenging kids and their parents in particular. Um, and that is that they are um, passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent disciplinarians. And for quite some time now, I have been saying that that is not what's going on and therefore is not an especially enlightened point of view. And what got me turned around on that, because I'm one of those people who used to think that, is when I noticed what you noticed, which is that um, you have another child who has been raised in the same way as your challenging child and um, isn't exploding. Now, what I always say is a long time ago, I had to start explaining that to myself because that is exactly what I started noticing, that the vast majority of parents of behaviorally challenging kids with whom I was working had other children in the home who were not behaviorally challenging. And uh, if you got your eyes open and your ears open, that should say to you, Maybe this is not passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent parenting. Maybe there's something different about this kid, the behaviorally challenging one, that is causing him not to respond the way the other ones respond to what's what we might just call traditional good parenting. What I did is I went back to the research and noticed that there was quite a bit there that would help me understand not only why challenging kids are challenging, and here's the soundbite answer, because they're lacking the skills to not be challenging, but also why rewarding and punishing and stickers and timeouts wouldn't teach kids those skills and wouldn't help solve the problems that were setting in motion challenging episodes as a result of those lagging skills. And that is when a new model was born. Yes, I originally called it collaborative problem solving. I'm not allowed to call it that anymore. That could change someday, but at the moment, it's collaborative and proactive solutions. Some people actually like that name better. I really haven't given it that much thought. Whether I like it better or not, I think they're both good the name I originated for the model that I originated and the name I now call the model that I originated. 
um, a model was born when it became obvious why so many of the things we do to behaviorally challenging kids to supposedly try to help them shouldn't be expected to help them because rewarding and punishing only does some things well. But among the things I wouldn't expect it to do well is collaboratively solve the problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes. And if that's the main goal, and it is the main goal, then I'm not exactly sure where a reward and punishment program would come into the picture as it relates to helping these kids. As I always say, I'm not allergic to reward and punishment programs. I just don't think they make a great deal of sense anymore, given what we now know about why and when behaviorally challenging kids are challenging. I'm glad you've noticed that telling your child to stop screaming and then screaming back at him isn't working. So the thing that, and I know you've got one more question in your email here, I'll answer it in a second, but um, what I'd like you to do is, first of all, um, it says that you've purchased the book. Now I hope that you will read the book and implement what you're reading in the book. And to help you along the way, there is um, a guided tour for parents on the Lives in the Balance website. Lives with a V in the balance dot org. Get on that website. It's brand new. Well, the website's been up for a while, but this version of it is brand new. Go to the parents and families section. Uh, it'll the page you go to when you go to the parents and families section will tell you all about all of the things that are in that section. But the first thing you're going to be reading about is the walking tour for parents. Take that tour. It'll help you too. It might be quicker than reading the book. Not that I'm recommending you not read the book, but read it. Get on the site. There's all kinds of stuff on that website to help you out along the way. You can email me, and I'll answer your questions anytime you want here on the program. And if you ever want to call in, 347-994-2981. Your last question was, what if this behavior is saved just for us? Well, it's not unusual for kids to look worse at home than they do outside the home. That can be complicated why that might be. The leading answer, but not only answer for why that might be, is that some behaviorally challenging kids do have the ability, some don't, do have the ability to hold it together inside the home and then they lose it when they are in circumstances that are a little bit more comfortable for them outside the home or with other people. That's um, what I call the embarrassment factor and I've seen the embarrassment factor even in three-year-olds, even in three-year-olds. Many three-year-olds can hold it together better with people other than their parents than they do with their parents. Now, some people would theorize that that's because they feel safer with their parents. Okay, I could buy that. 
Some people theorize that the kid has put in, put massive amounts of energy into holding it together outside the home and then decompensates because they can't put that kind of energy into holding it together 24 hours a day. I could buy that too. Um, yeah. You still want to do what's in the book and what's on the website. And... Um, what I might say is you might want to thank your lucky stars that you don't have double-barreled challenging episodes going on, challenging episodes that are occurring in both settings. I'll take one setting instead of both, though I know you're not feeling especially lucky right now. And having people tell you that it could be worse doesn't help, which I just did. All I'm saying is I'm glad that your son isn't losing it outside of the home, now you get to get to work on doing this stuff that will help him when he's inside the home. And what you're going to see um, when you read the book and when you're on the website and take the tour is that um, uh, you're going to need a list of all of the unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes for your son. Once he starts screaming, Mm, there's not a whole lot you can do once a kid starts screaming. The the artistry is in what you do before he starts screaming. The good news is that the things he's screaming about, believe it or not, are highly predictable. You make them predictable by making a list of the problems that are setting in motion screaming or other things kids do when they are dealing with a problem that they're having difficulty handling. That's why kids scream and hit and swear and pout and sulk and do all the bite and spit and whatever. It's also why the behavior the child exhibits is not the most important part, the most important, even though it's what a lot of people tend to primarily focus on. Um, in this model, that is not what you primarily focus on. In fact, in this model, you really don't focus on the kid's behavior much at all. You focus on the problem's that are giving rise to those behaviors, identifying them so they become predictable and solving them collaboratively and proactively so they don't set in motion challenging episodes anymore. Solved problems don't set in motion challenging episodes. Only unsolved problems do. Good luck on the journey. We're here if you need us. Uh, one of our listeners is emailing in here for the person whose email I was just talking about. CPS is a different way to approach your child. One needs to discard conventional wisdom. It's not your fault. Change our perceptions and rethink the children. Using the CPS model, we are able to repair relationships and actually help. Lagging skills are similar to a learning disability. You come to understand that punishment is not effective changing this type of child's behavior. I agree. Our emailer is saying that a lot of parents think that if they just punish enough, the message will eventually get through. Uh, what message? We don't like what you're doing, kid? Oh, that I'm reasonably certain the kid knows you don't like what he's doing. He might be waiting um, for you to identify the problems that are 
giving rise to his challenging episodes and helping him solve them. He might be waiting for that because hearing yet again that what he's doing is unacceptable and that you don't like it probably won't fix it any better than all of those other times that that message was communicated. This is the difference between behaviorally challenging kids and regular old kids. Regular old kids, often in regular old kids, often, not always, all you got to do is tell them, um, all you got to do is tell them you don't like what they're doing, and sometimes you're in luck. Behaviorally challenging kids, if they would do well, they could do well. Kids do well if they can. Um, funny story. I sometimes tell this one. My son, who's now 13, when he was four, he was sitting at the kitchen table and all of a sudden he said, Damn! I'd never heard him say that word before. I looked at him and I said, What? He said, Damn? I said, uh, Where did you hear that word? Now, back then, my son's lip would start to quiver when he discovered that he did something that didn't meet with adult approval. He badly wanted to do well, and lucky for him, could. Um, didn't really matter where he'd heard it. It was another family member who shall remain unnamed, but um, that's not the worst thing that comes out of her mouth. But I said to him, do you know that that's not a word that we use around here? And he said, well, oh, now I'm going to give it away. Mommy uses that word. I said, well, we're working very hard on helping Mommy not use that word. But I would like it very much if you would not use that word. And I haven't had that heard that word come out of his mouth in the last nine years. Um, it's an interesting story because it basically says that all I had to do is point out to my son that I didn't like what he was doing. And he fixed it. Those of you who are listening to this program because you have a behaviorally challenging kid are now... Um, rolling your eyes and saying, boy, lucky Ross. That's right. Got lucky with the son. Pretty easy. Just tell him you don't. Now he's 13 now. This is We're on slightly shakier ground here, but still generally true. Um, but back then, at least, all I had to do is tell him that he did something I didn't like and he would try hard to fix it and, best of all, had the skills to do it. And this is this is an interesting thing. Kids do well if they can, whether they're behaviorally challenging or not. The difference is do they have the skills to change it? And if they don't, you can tell them you don't like what they did till the cows come home. It won't do it. It won't get it done. You're going to need a different approach. Um, let's see what one of our listeners is writing in now. I, I, I beat one of our listeners to the punch on the kids do all if they can theme. Why is my internet working so slowly right now? It's annoying. Um, 
I think we are going to read that one later because it's not coming up on my screen. Here we go. Let's turn to another email, and now none of them are coming up. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Let me close a few things out that I have running here, and maybe we will get more bandwidth. Well, I had already done an advanced preview of the next question I was going to answer. I can't read it exactly, but I'll tell you what it asked. It asked if, and this was some, from some parents, if they should involve their 15-year-old child. And I can't remember if... I'm going to log out here and then try to log back in. I can't remember if um, the daughter was a male or female. It doesn't matter. But the question was, should we involve our daughter? Uh, should we show her? Here we go. We're back up again. So before I move on to that, let's see if we... Oh, for goodness sakes. There we go. Oh, never mind. Um, before we... All right, here we go. Sorry about this. How annoying to listen to the radio program host waiting for his email to come up. Dr. Green, is it okay to let a self-aware teenager complete the lagging skills inventory herself? Who knows her better than herself? Are the assessments only to be done by the adults? Should the child ever see them to discuss with parents? Great question. Um, my normal operating procedure is to not involve the child in the discussion about the lagging skills, but if you have a self-aware teenager and you feel that it would be helpful for her to participate in that discussion, and I don't typically, well, almost ever, have people fill the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems out independently, um, better for it to be a discussion. Um, I don't have a problem with a self-aware 15-year-old teenager being involved in that discussion. Um, be aware that she may point out to you that you're lacking a few, too. I don't know you, but we're all lacking skills, so this actually could be a kind of a funny discussion if you play it that way. But what you especially want to get the kid's input on, your daughter's input on, is um, the um, unsolved problems. That's, uh, that's where you really want to put your heads together. Um, and usually finding out what the unsolved problems are with the kid's involvement means asking, let's think about the things we're bugging you about. Let's think about the things um, that we're fighting a lot about, the things we're bugging you about, things you're getting in trouble about. And I'm willing to bet that um, your daughter is going to have lots of information to give you. So I would do that for sure. Totally a judgment call um, on whether to involve her in talking about lagging skills, too. Your call. 
Uh, but if you do it or if you've already done it, let us know how it went. Here's another. Hi, Dr. Green. I've had the pleasure of listening to one of your talks recently. My husband and I have always been plan A believers. It's how we were raised and all we've known and grown to believe in, pretty much until we heard your talk. We have a very easygoing five-year-old and a much more challenging almost three-year-old. Seems to be an interesting concurring theme for today. While our plan A has worked well with our older son, it doesn't quite work with our two-year-old or three-year-old. We were happy to hear that there are other much better options, so we tried to implement plan B, but we have had problems with consistency because it feels really hard and unnatural. I'm going to stop reading here and make an editorial comment. Right. Exactly right. If you've been, if you've been plan A in it all along, Plan B is going to be like being in a foreign country. So it's going to be really hard and unnatural in the beginning. But I'm, I'm glad you've noticed. Now, we, we, we're going to talk about your five-year-old in a minute. I think that in general, I find that kids who respond to Plan A also respond to Plan B and get all of the upside of Plan B. So there may be, I don't know, I don't want to shake things up that much, but let me keep going with the email. We chose to focus on a couple of unsolved problems. One is bedtime, for example. He always gets angry and even a bit aggressive whenever I try to leave his bedroom. I have been struggling with the empathy step, which means I haven't gone past it. Every time I try to gather information on why he struggles with mommy having to leave his bedroom when it is time to go to bed, which is pretty much how I've been framing the unsolved problem, he opts for ignoring me and just goes away. No interest whatsoever. Interesting. He is very capable of communicating. He is fluent in two languages. I have tried this at different times during our day when he is happy and relaxed. He shows for a few seconds that the question resonates with him, but then there is a sudden switch and goes away or starts playing and ignoring me. At that point, it is impossible to continue with the empathy step as he won't allow me. I feel that we are slowly going back to our old ways as we haven't been successful with Plan B yet. Is it that we have to tailor how we drill for information when dealing with toddlers? Any tips? What, a, what an interesting situation, and I'm sorry in one respect, and the way that I'm sorry is that um, your initial attempt at Plan B has bumped into one of the things that's hardest about Plan B, can be hardest about Plan B, and that is that your child doesn't talk, just won't participate. So I'm sorry that that was your first experience with Plan B because it's not always that way. In fact, it usually isn't that way, but um, I hope you're up for a bit of a challenge. But here's what I might do. We need to find out why when you raise this issue, and I do want to make sure that... um, You're wording it right. I want to leave the behavior out of the unsolved problem. So I don't want to mention angry. I don't want to uh, mention aggressive. Um, The word struggles is not terrible, but I might word it, I've noticed that you've been having difficulty when I try to leave your bedroom when it's time to go to bed. What's up? So if that's the way you worded it, you're in good shape there, and your wording of the unsolved problem is not why he won't talk. If that's not the way you worded it, you might want to do a gut check on how you 
worded it, but you also might not want to surprise him. You might want to make an appointment with him and let him know that you'd like to talk with him about the bedtime problem and when would be a good time and make an appointment with him. Now, he's not surprised about what issue you're raising, and he's not surprised that you're raising an issue because you've made an appointment to talk about it. If that doesn't go well, you might want to ask him about talking in general or try communicating with him in some different way. Now, if he's three, he's probably not writing yet, although he might be. You could do up a multiple-choice test for him, not a test, a multiple-choice thing for him, and um, hypothesize about the different reasons that he might not be talking. I can think of a few. You're interrupting what I'm doing. Put a little box that he could check it off. Um, This is a hard thing for me to talk about. Put a little box if he checks it off. Um, I don't want to talk about that. It's too scary. Put a box so he can check it off, and you might have other theories. But the task for most parents, these are just a few ideas. If you've got a child who is not participating in the process, we need to figure out why. Maybe he'll talk about that. And now you're not really talking about the unsolved problem that you badly wanted to start with. You're talking about talking. But I'm hoping that if you make an appointment, that will help. It might not. If it doesn't, please email back, and we'll keep trying. Or better yet, call in. No callers today. Let me finish here with a few emails, because these are pretty heartwarming, some of them. Um, Hang on, that's not the one. This is the one. Dr. Green, I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and love for children. I have read The Explosive Child. My daughter asked me to read it because her son is having problems at school, problems that I easily discovered in your book, and it has helped me understand and act in a different way. I am enjoying my grandson more than before. Now we are recommending your books to the school principal and psychology consultant for them to learn how to help not only my grandson, but other kids do well. If you ever come to Mexico to give lectures, please let me know to listen to you and learn more. You're very welcome. As I always say, that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's a James Taylor tune. Uh, Here's another nice message, no question. Dr. Green, I was recently asked what discipline method I follow. I could not find the words to answer that question until I found your website. I'm looking for a school program for my 11-year-old son who is ADHD slash dyslexic. I didn't want a school with the traditional behavior mod program. Over the summer, on my home district's recommendation, I visited a special education program. I asked whether the students had an opportunity to go on field trips. I was told field trips were earned through a point program. I did not want to send my child to a school whose philosophy was that children with lagging skills needed to earn points to appease their authority figures. So how do I begin a search for a school that shares your philosophy that kids do well if they can? You may need an educational consultant to 
help you out. Um, and if you email me through the Lives in the Balance website, I will do my darndest to see if there is someone in your area who can assist you along those lines. One more. My son is an adult, 42 years old, but still struggles. As I read your website, it seems he still doesn't have many of the skills you mentioned, such as flexibility, adaptability, frustration, tolerance, and problem solving. Is it too late to learn? It's never too late to learn. Maybe your son will take a tour on the Lives in the Balance website. That is going to do it for us today. We are plumb out of time. Hope you're continuing to find this program to be useful and helpful and informative because that's the whole idea of doing it. Back next week with the parent panel. Always look forward to that. Take care.